Let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 25 is where we'll be this morning. We're finally jumping back into our study of the Gospel of John this morning. We're in, as I said, John 15, and it falls in a section where Jesus is speaking to his men, his 11 men, because you remember that Judas has gone to betray Jesus at this point. So he's speaking to the 11 men before his death and where he is expressing matters of comfort to them, especially since he is speaking of leaving them. He has told them of the coming spirit who he and the Father will send to them from, uh, for their comfort and to bring memory of all things that he has taught them. Just previous to our section in John fifteen eighteen and forward, he has told them that all who abide in him are those who are truly his, and that those who are truly his will keep his command to love one another and to love him indeed by keeping his commandments. This keeping of his commandments is what boils down to loving the triune God, as Jesus has said, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others, and especially as Jesus has commanded them in John 13, to love one another as they love themselves. This keeping of that, those commands, boiling down to love, is now starkly contrasted with hatred, as we shall see in our New Testament scripture reading this morning. And I'd ask you to please stand if you are able as I read aloud and you follow along. And actually begin in John chapter 15 and verse 12 to get the context of our verses in 18 through 25 this morning. So that we can see that contrast of love and hatred. John chapter 15 and verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give, give it to you. These things I command to you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, notice that contrast, uh, all about love in verses 12 through 17. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. You may be seated. That is the 
Scripture reading in the New Testament this morning, may both the old and new be a blessing to us as we've heard the Word of God read aloud. May you, uh, would you please join me in prayer? Lord, this morning we pray by your Spirit who inspired these words in the original autographs that he would now open the eyes of believers to the truths that we need to grasp this morning for loving you and obeying you and loving our neighbors. Lord, may it be that we would have these truths stamped deep in our hearts so that we might live them out. Lord, I pray for those who do not know you that are in our midst, that your spirit would do the work of regeneration in their heart, that they would come to know you this morning, that the spirit would impart life and faith and grace to them, that they might turn from their sin and trust in Christ alone for their salvation, for their reconciliation to you. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would continue to humble me by the means of grace, of preaching, and Lord, that all of us might have our faith strengthened by that means. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was growing up, I was taught there were certain words that you were not to say because they were unkind words. Many of you probably grew up with the same sort of rules in your home. You don't say shut up to someone. Or as my brother-in-law said when he was quite young, they said up shut to me. (laughs) You don't say that in our home. It's unkind. It was drilled in my head as a young boy. You don't say that you hate someone or that you hate Something So I would say something along the lines of, I strongly dislike with a great passion (laughs) this thing or this person, right? So um, maybe I didn't take it that far, but, but I also substituted in my head for others when they would say it. When someone would say they hated something, I would think, okay, they didn't really mean hate. They just mean they really don't like that. Because it was drilled into my head that you don't say the word hate. Well, I still think it's not the best word to use in reference to people. And I appreciate the lesson that the adults around me were seeking to teach me. I understand now that there are times where the word hate is the only appropriate word. One Greek lexicon says the word used here in our text means to have a strong aversion to or to detest. And it it categorizes it that way, especially in regard to people. A strong aversion to or to detest. It is in this context that we see this word hate is an appropriate word for the Lord to use as he describes what he is describing and what we will see as we continue on here. If you happen to have your worship folder, this is written for you on the back of that. If you're tuning in via live stream, this has been emailed to you if you're on our email list. Here's the main point. If we are truly followers of Jesus, we will experience the hatred and persecution of the world. Now, as you can tell, this is a very light and very um, uplifting sermon this morning by that main point. Of course, this is very heavy for us to think about and to, to but, but but think about it we must we must think about this truth this morning if we are truly followers of Jesus we will experience the hatred and persecution of the world 
This morning, I want us to see three reasons the world hates Jesus and his followers. It couldn't be more straightforward than those words. Three reasons that the world hates Jesus and his followers. And again, this is something that we must meditate upon, not because we like to, but we must. We must understand this. The first reason that is given here, and, and, and again, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable, right? It, it's, it, 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 when I say these are the words of Jesus, um, I, I don't mean that somehow those are separated from the rest of Scripture, but, but Jesus spoke these words to his followers. And by way of speaking those words to his followers, he has spoken them to us as well. For if we are in Christ, we are his followers. Jesus says that the world hates him and his followers because he has chosen his followers out of the world. The world hates Jesus and his followers because Jesus has chosen his followers out of the world. And we know that specifically in this context, he is speaking to the eleven. But by way of what we understand in the rest of scriptures, brothers and sisters, he too has chosen us out of the world. Look again at verses 18 through 20. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they also will persecute you. If they kept my word, they also will keep yours. Again, we take note of the contrast between verse... uh, 18 and verse 12. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. The commission that Jesus gives, at least in part, to his disciples and therefore to his followers, which includes us, is that we are to love one another. He has expressed this in John 13 to his disciples by washing their feet. And he says, in a similar fashion, you are to love one another. In other words, in this servant sacrificial way, You are to love one another. You are to serve one another because I, the master, the Lord of the universe, this is where he grabs this from in verse 20, I, who have created you, have taken the posture of a servant, of a slave, and I have washed washed your feet. That is to be your disposition toward one another. Brothers and sisters, as we think about the hatred of the world toward us this morning, let us remember that the, the, the refuge is the church. The refuge of love where we should not be persecuted or hated is the assembly, is the fellowship. i got to pause for a second. John and Trudy, it is so good to see you. I love you. I'm so glad you're here. Forgive me. My heart is overwhelmed by seeing people I haven't seen in a long time. Love in the brethren, right? We take contrast to that love against the persecution. This if, though, in verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. This if, in the context of the rest of what Jesus says here, implies not that this might happen, but that it will happen. If the world hates you, and it will, know that, if it, know that it hated me first. The fact that Jesus claims that the world has already hated him first assumes that his followers will most likely and uh, 
probably will be hated too. And we can, uh, you know, as the saying goes, take that to the bank, though we don't really want to. The reason is that like him, they are not of this world because he has chosen them out of the world. The idea is not that they are outside of the world. In fact, later on in this book, he's going to say you are uh, to be uh, in the world, but not of the world. He emphasizes this again later on. They're not outside of the world, but rather they have been set apart from the world, chosen for his purposes. Every person who comes to faith in Christ uh, cannot deny, regardless of what you believe about the, um, the, the doctrine of election and predestination. Ephesians 1 says that in him, God chose us from before the foundation of the world. And we are chosen as those who are set apart unto him. For this reason, the world hates him and them. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Well, let's work through this idea a bit more this morning. Why would the world hate them? Because Jesus has chosen them out of the world. To be separated means to be different, and that difference in the believer is a holiness that is described by who God is, and that holiness exposes sinfulness. So just by the fact that God has chosen us out of the world and transformed us, he has brought us from death to life, and we are now ambassadors of that message, of the gospel message, that mankind is sinner. We're not denying that we're sinners. We're proclaiming All men are sinners. All men need to uh, turn from their sin and trust in Christ. By virtue of that and being set apart, we are hated by the world. That holiness that is not our own holiness, it is the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to us, exposes sin. Remember what John says at the beginning of his his, uh, letter, his book, his gospel He says that light has come into the world and men do not love light, they love darkness. And we are like the moon, as it were, reflecting the sunshine of God and Christ. And yes, there is love to be poured forth in that reflection, but love tells the truth. The truth is that we are sinners in need of God's grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. In other words, if there was no difference in you, if there was no way in which you were uncommon, but you were common like the rest of the world, and you looked the same and you acted the same and nothing had changed, they would love you. Why? Because you would be of the world. But that is not true of you. If you were in Christ, you have been separated unto God. You have been justified. You are sanctified and being sanctified, and you will be glorified. And thus the world hates you and me. There's also the task he will give to them to make disciples of all the world. As we just mentioned that the call upon our lives is to be disciple makers, to proclaim the gospel, to to walk alongside of those who profess faith in Christ. So the the task that he will give them to make disciples of all the world. And as uh, Calvin says, quote, the gospel cannot be published without Instantly driving the world to rage. 
Consequently, it will never be possible for godly teachers to avoid the hatred of the world, end quote. Jesus then reminds them of what he has already told them at the foot washing in John 13, that the servant, or look at, look at verse 20 again, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. This is what he told them at, in John 13, um, at the foot washing, that the servant, they, are not greater than the master, him. And in what sense is he now saying that? If they persecuted me, verse 20, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. We then see in verse 20, the form of this hatred comes in persecution. What does this mean? Think of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 11 through 12. Listen to what it says. Listen to what he says there. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What is Jesus saying? Is he not echoing Solomon here? There is nothing new under the sun. They persecuted the prophets. They will persecute you, he is saying to his apostles and disciples, which we know from church history and even what we read in our Bibles, that that did occur. So all followers of Christ will be persecuted in other words, we're in good company. This word persecute on, uh, in one Greek lexicon identifies a meaning as to harass someone, especially because of beliefs. Now, it does say here, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And, you know, it could be that Jesus is saying, if they kept my word, in other words, they, there are some who will hear you and will follow me. And that's a possibility. There will be people who are saved because of what we say and do and our witness and our proclamation of the gospel and our desire to make disciples. But it could also mean they kept, they held on to his words, and because of that, they persecuted him. He's going to talk in a moment here about how he spoke certain things and it exposed their sin. Either way, there's truth in that. But... What does it mean to be harassed because of beliefs? I must say that we're seeing signs of this grow greater and greater day by day. But it is not to the degree that we should expect, and just as Jesus is preparing his followers here, so we must too be prepared. In other words, it's going to get worse. But what we must remember, dear ones, is that the New Testament calls us to endure suffering. And as Americans who have enjoyed religious liberty, we think this suffering typically comes by way of physical illness and ailments. We don't really think about suffering in regard to hatred and persecution. Whenever we see the Bible say, the New Testament say, you're going to endure suffering, we think, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm kind of getting aches and pains. And, and perhaps that is in view But we forget that our forebears in the faith suffered at the hands of those who did not want to hear the gospel. That is the kind of suffering mainly that Peter and Paul are speaking of. When the world was told to cry, Caesar is Lord, Christians refused to say anything but Jesus is Lord, Lord, and many paid for it with their life. 
And when we are proclaiming Jesus as the Lord, not as protest, but as a reality of who he is, and in so doing, that mainly comes through the proclamation of the Gospels, the making of disciples as Jesus has called us to do. In other words, this is not about winning a political battle, though we as American citizens have an appeal through voting and representative government, but there is coming a day when we will have to be bold, not pugnacious, but bold in representing Jesus Christ to the world as an appeal to repentance and faith, not a political war, but lovingly telling those who are persecuting us that they need to turn from their sin and trust Christ. As Paul told us to imitate him as he imitated Christ. He was in prison and by God's grace proclaimed the gospel to the praetorian guards. And some believed. Listen to Philippians 1, 12 and 13. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, what has happened to him? He has been thrown in prison for proclaiming the gospel. Now, side note, footnote here. Paul did appeal to his citizenship in Rome. I'm not saying that that's not a possibility. We, we have rights. But even with that, for Paul, it didn't matter at the end. He still was beheaded for proclaiming the gospel. I'm not saying we shouldn't make appeals through voting and through representative government and things like that. But that is not the end goal for Paul. Listen to what he says. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul's goal was not to win some political battle. It was to proclaim the gospel. I think of the Russian Pastor Alexei, who I met, who is now with the Lord. When he was taken from his family for pastoring and proclaiming the gospel, and his wife and children did not know when they took him, if he was alive or dead, because they just took him. The Russian government just took him away, perhaps to his grave. They did not know whether he was alive or dead. And one day, years, and if memory serves me correctly, Eight years after he was taken, the soldiers showed up and told his wife they are taking her to go see him. She didn't even know if her husband was alive. And the soldiers show up and say, we're taking you to go see him. And so she gets to this prison and is able to speak with her husband Alexi, what in the world has been going on these past eight years? And he said, oh, my dear wife, there is a greater witness and church for Jesus Christ behind these bars than I ever would have had outside of them. You cannot contain the gospel. It explodes. It explodes even greater under persecution. The diaspora of the early church, the scattering of the saints only strengthened the faith of believers and caused the gospel to spread. And brothers and sisters, we sit here this morning as a result of that. God has his purposes 
even as we will face hatred and persecution for the cause of Christ. That is why we are here, for the sake of his name. Not for the sake of freedoms that we will one day lose. We are not fighting for that ultimately. We are lovingly and convictionally proclaiming the gospel even in chains. You are set apart from the world to proclaim the gospel to the world. For those who are here and not in Christ, I want to proclaim to you that there is hope in Christ. There is freedom, much greater than the freedom you experience as an American. There is freedom from sin that enslaves you. Freedom because Christ loves his own enough to die in their place, to suffer the shame of their sin and to pay the price they deserve to pay and uh, that they deserve to pay. And three days later, he rose again, ascended to the father, but is giving us his righteousness so that we might live for him. The world hates Jesus and his followers because Jesus has chosen his followers out of the world. It's one reason why if you're a Christian, the world will hate you and persecute you. Secondly, the world hates Jesus and his followers because though they claim to know the Father, that is the world claims to know the Father, Jesus' words expose they do not know him. Verses 21 through 23 But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. Notice the reason for this. It is because of the name of Jesus that they will hate and persecute the disciples and subsequently all who bear his name. Notice what he says there again. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Name. The term Christian has unfortunately lost its weight. Think of Acts 11 and verse 28 where Luke records that in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. That's where that term, it's, it's a biblical term. But it was not a favorable term. When, when someone was called a Christian in Antioch, it was not a, a badge that was to be worn with Favor, but it was a badge to be said. There goes one of those Messiah followers. It was hatred, in fact, that caused the name Christian to be used. The word means one who is associated with Christ, with the Messiah. To bear the name of Christ. Now, in one sense, you would want to be associated with that, even though it was a term of uh, a derogatory term. What an honor to be associated with Christ. But what's the cost? What's the cost? Why is this idea of bearing the name so significant? Mainly, we have seen in the Gospel of John that Christ associates himself with the name what? When he says, I am, he's associating with Yahweh. Right With the name of God, the Old Testament name of God. He says, I am the door, I am the shepherd, I am the bread. I am that I am. He uses that terminology, which is Yahwehic language. It's Old Testament language for only God. One of the discussions that goes around in New Testament studies today is, why did Jesus never claim to be God? And what they mean by that is, why does Jesus never claim to be Elohim? which is a general name for God or gods in the Old Testament. Well, because he claimed to be the God. (laughs) He didn't claim to be a God. 
He claimed to be the God when he says, I am. He's saying, I am Yahweh. So what, is, what was the identifier of Israel in the Old Testament? They were those who bore the name of Yahweh. Now, in the coming New Covenant era, where, uh, which Jesus will inaugurate shortly after he says these things to his disciples, he says, those who bear his name will suffer hatred and persecution. It is because they do not know the one who sent him. The Father whose name is also what? Yahweh. If you're going to associate with me, Jesus says, you are associating with Yahweh God. And if they do not know me as Yahweh God, then they truly do not know my Father, Yahweh God. To bear the name of Christ is to bear the name of God, for the eternal Son is Yahweh. In fact, Jesus now indicts them on this count, for he has come and told them who he is, and they do not believe his words, and they are not his, and they are not therefore Yahweh's either. You see, what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's summarizing his pro- proclamation. He has come into the world preaching repentance and the kingdom and proclaiming himself to be Messiah. He's pro- also proclaiming himself to be Yahweh. And what do they do? Well, they can't deny the miracles. We're going to see that in just a minute. But they attribute his words and his actions to the devil. Yeah, they say he's the prince of demons. But Jesus now indicts them with his words. Look at it again. If they persecuted me, middle of verse 20, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had come, if I had not come, verse 22, and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. And by this, Jesus isn't saying that they wouldn't have had sin. He's saying, I came and I exposed their sin. That's the point. In this case, the sin is their rejection of Christ and therefore the rejection of Yahweh God, the Father, and the Spirit. As Richard Phillips relays in his commentary on John, quote, this explains why it was the religious leaders who most opposed Jesus since their religion had long since lost touch with God and served only their own purposes. This ignorance is the defining characteristic of this age of the world, seen both in those who crucified Jesus and in those who deny him now, end quote. And this is what Jesus emphasizes when he says in verse 23, If anyone hates me, he hates my father also. Whoever hates me hates my father. Why is he emphasizing that? Because the Jews, especially the religious leaders of the day who were about to come and take him to kill him, by the way, that's the, that's the background of, of what Jesus is saying here. They denied that he is Yahweh God. Therefore, they denied God altogether, Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus came proclaiming, I am Yahweh. He does, he says it, he performs the works of Messiah. He'll he'll say here in a moment. Denied. Therefore, they deny him, they have denied the Father. He who hates me also hates the Father. What would have been the sort of damning truth there? They thought they knew God better than anybody. 
They couldn't even see him standing right in front of their faces. Perhaps you sit in our midst this morning unaware that if you do not receive Christ as he is, as he presents himself, that you cannot say you love God. That is the trouble with the world today. Oh, I love God. I'm just not into that Jesus stuff. Or I love God and the Jesus that you portray is not the Jesus that I learned about in Sunday school. Really, that's the last time you thought about Jesus. How about you open your Bible and read it rather than trying to school me from your Sunday school years 20 years ago. Now, Jesus says this. Perhaps you sit here in the morning, this morning and you say you love God, but you have not trusted Christ. And it's not up to us to determine who God is and who Christ is and who the Spirit is, but Jesus has told us and he tells us what is in concert with the prophets of old and he fulfills these and you must see who he is and turn from your sin and trust him lest you suffer the fate of those who do not. My plea with you this morning is to hear this message of truth that you are a sinner just as I am a sinner I just happen to be a redeemed sinner because of Christ. And you need to turn from your sin and trust in him. For those of us who bear the name of Christ, are we ready for the hatred and persecution that will surely come? We have seen glimpses of our religious freedom being in danger in recent days. Even if it gets better for a time, it is only a matter of time when we will not possess those freedoms in the same way. Will we remain faithful to Christ when our political options no longer exist? When there is no political means to appeal, Christ is still our king and we must bear his name and the hatred and persecution that comes with that. Think about this. We are in a bubble as citizens of the United States. We are in about a 200 and some odd year bubble that has not existed for the history of the church The reality of most of our brothers and sisters from around the world for the last 2,000 years has been hatred and persecution. And it is still true today where religious liberty does not exist. And that is quickly fading. Jesus tells us not to be surprised by it. What will we do when it costs us our job? What will we do when it costs us the ability to gather in a building like this, will we be faithful? When perhaps your pastors get dragged off to jail for preaching from Romans chapter 1 about what is sinful, pray that your pastors would be faithful. But Jesus tells us not to be surprised by it. It's a great church growth sermon this morning, right? (laughs) Listen, we bear the name of the man of heaven as citizens first of that heavenly country. And one day we will bear the image of that man of heaven too. It is our eternal hope in which we hope there is no hope in an earthly sense. We long for an eternal dwelling, an eternal country, as Abraham and Moses, as the prophets, as 
King David as the apostles, as our forebears in the faith. That is our only hope. Well, Jesus not only spoke words that made them hate them, he has done works as well as we see in our final point. The world hates Jesus and his followers, thirdly, because Jesus has done the works that expose their sin. Look at verses 24 and 25. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Jesus now moves on to that which cannot be denied, his works. They can deny his words all day long because false prophets were a thing, just as they are today. There were people coming along saying that they were Messiah or they were representatives of God. I mean, there's a, there's a guy in uh, some South American country who says that he's Jesus the Messiah, and people actually follow him. But they cannot deny his works. And as I mentioned earlier, that they have to attribute his works to demons because they can't deny the fact that he has healed people, that he has raised people from the dead. And they say, you do this by the work of your father, the devil. Then he turns around and says, no, you liars are of your father, the devil, who is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And he adds the word murderer because he knows what they're going to do to him. His works, his miracles, they're the signs that what he said is true. They're undeniable, but still a cause for those who reject Jesus to hate him. Again, Jesus is not saying they would not be guilty of sin at all, but rather his works expose their sin, specifically their sin of not only disbelief, but of hatred toward him and his followers. Jesus has backed up his words with the miraculous signs of Messiah. When he says, I have done things that no one else has done, it's not that others hadn't done certain things. But remember when when John the baptizer was concerned about, is Jesus really the Messiah? And people came to him and said, hey, John's in prison and he's concerned about this. What did Jesus tell John's friends to go back and tell him? Tell him that the, the lame walk, the blind see. What is he referencing there? And all the things he says, he's saying, those are works of the Messiah, John. And when the word got back to John, he, 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 he would have said, that's right. <laughs> My cousin is the Messiah. And he is God. And he is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And because of this, they hate both Jesus and the Father. And this, Jesus says, is a fulfillment of their own law. We heard part of this in our scripture reading this morning in in Psalm 35. It's also found in Psalm 69, 4. If you want to turn there, keep your finger in John 15 and turn over to Psalm 69, the 69th Psalm. Look at verses 1 through 7. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink deep in the mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without a cause. There's the reference possibly both from Psalm 35. When, 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 when in the New Testament, there's a reference to the Old Testament. They don't want us to just go back and read one verse. They want us to go back and read the context. 
So Psalm 35 and Psalm 69, perhaps Jesus has both of those in mind when he says this. More in number, verse 4, than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without a cause. Mightier those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal, must I now restore? In other words, I'm innocent. Oh God, you know my folly, the wrongs that I have done that are not hidden from you. That's David saying that. Of course, that's not true of Messiah. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's sons. That is messianic. The ones, the very ones who should have known Messiah, his brothers and sisters, if you will, in the Jewish nation, have rejected him. But here is the hope. You can turn back over to John 15. Here is the hope. And it comes from this. It is that God is the deliverer of those who bear his name. And the ultimate delivery is through Christ and through the resurrection. What have we to fear? Jesus quoting again from Psalm 69 in the context of Matthew 10. Turn there. I know I just had you turn back to John, but turn, turn to Matthew. Matthew 10. It's a left-hand turn in your Bible from John if you're unfamiliar with the Scriptures. Matthew 10. Very similarly, Jesus' words are very similar here to John 15. Matthew 10 and verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, the prince of demons, how much more will they malign those of his household? Verse 26, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What has Jesus just said? His words and his work will expose them. Same idea here. What I tell you in dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. The idea not from your father knowing, he will know that. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Remember that in Psalm 69? The hairs are numbered like the number of my enemies. God knows, dear ones. Not just the hairs of your head, but who your enemies are. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. What's the warning? Do not reject the eternal Son. So, on the one hand, you can turn back over to John. If you have not turned to God through Christ, you need to fear God who can kill both body and soul. 
But for the believer, we entrust ourselves to a faithful God who cares for us, even if we lose our life for bearing his name. Are we ready for that? Have we entrusted our very lives to the one who says, I know when the sparrow falls, how much more do I love and care for you? I know the numbers of your head, cross-referencing Psalm 69, I therefore know who your enemies are. Do not fear them. Entrust yourself to a faithful God, dear ones, who sent his son to live a perfect life that you could not live, to die a death that you deserved, to be raised again and to ascend the promise of your resurrection in his resurrection, the promise of your dwelling with God in his sitting at the right hand of the Father, waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. What is the ultimate end of the one who does not trust in Christ, who denies God? It is utter destruction. And therefore, I call to those of you who have not turned from your sin and trusted in Christ, believe today in Christ turn from your sin there is one who does destroy body and soul trust rather in his life giving today would you uh, pray with me and just as we're bowing our heads in prayer we're going to sing a hymn here in just a moment and pastor steve is going to be up here leading that hymn and If you would like to speak with him about what it means to be in Christ, or if you would just like some prayer, he's going to stay up here after he's done leading the hymn. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray for those of us who are in you, where we don't desire suffering, we don't desire persecution and hatred, but what we desire, Lord, is to honor you, to not be ashamed to bear the name of of the triune God to say, yes, I am a Christ follower and whatever the consequences may be for that, I entrust myself to a faithful God who has loved me and died for me. I am not my own, but I, be- I belong body and soul to the triune God. That is my only hope in life and death, as the Heidelberg Catechism says. And I pray for those, Lord, that are struggling today. Lord, we we need each other. We need to be encouraging each other with these truths. May we come alongside of one another and encourage each other and to point to the hope that is eternal life, not just in this life, but in the life to come, eternity with you living in the new heaven and new earth, glorifying you in resurrection bodies. And Lord, I pray for those who do not know you that are in our midst, that they would come to know you today, that you would bring them from death to life, that they would turn from their sin and trust in Christ alone. And may they come and talk with Pastor Steve or someone else, including myself, to make sure they know that. And if someone needs prayer or encouragement, Lord, may they come and speak as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.